This is Global Crisis Watch. Former Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for the Middle East and current ABC News National Defense and Security Analyst Mick Mulroy joins the Media Mavens podcast for a live monthly segment to discuss crucial world events. And here is the host of Global Crisis Watch, the CEO of Axis Entertainment, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for Media Maven's podcast and Global Crisis Watch here with my co-host, Joe Pirates, Public Affairs and Sports. How's it going, Joe? Really good, really good on this day. I'm looking forward to what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, we've been watching a lot of news on the Middle East. I know there's a lot going on out there of concern. Super excited to have Mick Mulroy on. He is a national security analyst for ABC Security Defense, former CIA military intelligence. Mick, you have been our Global Crisis Watch news person and co-host every month now are super excited to have you back to talk about what's going on in the world given um the past few days i've seen you all over the news yeah it's great to be here and we certainly have a lot to talk about i feel like it's always good to have you on and talk to you because i get more talking to you on this show than watching and reading basic media shit but i feel like it's a catch-22 it's always great to have you on but we're always talking about conflicts and what's going on in the world and i know the past week has been tough um, we talked to you recently about the drones and AI. Now we're talking about what's going on in um, Afghanistan right now with the troops. There's just so much going on. Um, and I've seen some of your most recent articles, but right now the big thing that's right that we should all be concerned about is what's going on in Afghanistan with U.S. troops withdrawing, right? Yeah, yes, absolutely, Sarah. They've, we've seen... Uh, Almost 90% of the forces are now out since the president ordered a withdrawal. And essentially, we're going to leave maybe 600 to 1,000, but they're only going to be there to secure the embassy. So all the other forces that we're enabling our Afghan partners um, hold off against the Taliban are, are essentially removed. So Bagram Air Base was a substantial last step because that was uh, where we su- we supported our Afghan forces on the ground with air support, casualty evacuation, alongside our combat advisors who were embedded with them, and now they're not. So it is it is now a time to see whether the Afghan uh, military and intelligence services can stand up to the Taliban. Now, do we? How many bases do U.S. bases do we have over in Afghanistan right now? So right now, none. We're, we have completely turned over all bases uh, to our Afghan partners. And, you know, we had m- multiple, I mean, I don't know what the last count was, but, you know, I've, I've served there for uh, over two years and, you know, there, there's many, uh, um, you know, dozens. Uh, now um, we are, Dan Bagram was essentially the last major base that the U.S. controlled and we've turned it over. So we're gonna, we're gonna have the embassy uh, 650 Marines guarding the embassy and our diplomats. Uh, and then we're going to have to, and we have right now forces at the airport, uh, the Kabul, uh, excuse me, the Kabul International Airport, because that's our way out. So we cannot allow uh, that to, to fall into the wrong hands, obviously, or we'll be stuck there. So um, that is that is currently the level. Yeah, it, so, and I think I have this wrong to clarify. Is Biden rethinking pulling out and putting troops back or is he pretty clear on just pull them all out and that's just going to be kind of final decision? 
So President Biden's made the decision to pull all the U.S. combat forces out. So the only forces we have left now are simply to maintain our diplomatic um, presence, right? We have, we have Marines guarding bases all over the world, right? We even have Marines in Paris. Obviously not as many because we're not really concerned about Paris. So uh, the only thing left is the diplomatic. It, we actually have 10% more. So they're at 90%. When the 10% is done, which they expect to be done by August or sooner, then the only military that will be there were to, will be to guard our diplomatic forces, our diplomatic effort. There's, there'll be no combat. Do, do we know why? I mean, I, not to get too deep into the politics, do we know why Biden made that decision, knowing that you know that's not the best place to be pulling troops out? So I, I certainly can't speak to his, you know, what he thought. I am pretty sure from media reports that most of his advisors did not agree uh, with the the withdrawal. Uh, just to give you some context, obviously we've been there for 20 years. We've had as many as 130,000 U.S. forces there um, at great expense to the American taxpayer. And quite frankly, we lost a lot of Americans there. Um, we had gone down to 3,500. So we have significantly reduced the threat to our forces. Um, we're in, mo- in very much a support role now. And obviously the expense has been reduced substantially. So for many people who do this uh, outside of politics and just from a national security perspective, um, we were in the right place. And with that minimal amount of forces, we were able to maintain everything that we and the coalition and our Afghan partners have fought for for 20 years. Um, we were able to maintain a substantial or at least sufficient counterterrorism force there to protect our own homeland. Because remember, the Taliban was a group that safe haven al-Qaeda, the group that attacked us on 9-11. So we needed to be able to, and there's ISIS there now, ISIS-K is what they call them. Um, There there is a substantial threat in Afghanistan that has not been eliminated. So for a lot of people, to to frame this as an analyst, not as a partisan here, because I'm certainly not a partisan, um, a lot of people thought that that was where we needed to be to maintain what we've gained. Others essentially said, and I understand at least part of their argument, we've been there for 20 years. Well, how long are we going to be there? Well, I get that. And I, you know, I've lost a lot of friends there too. So I get the emotional component of it. But we've also been in Korea for how long? We've also been in uh, Germany for how long? So if it's in our interest, and I think it was in our interest, and we can do it in a way that does, it isn't too expensive and obviously we don't lose uh, troops um, and we do everything we can to, to safeguard uh, them. I think that is something that you know, we should look at. The decision is made once the president makes a decision. Um, if anything I've learned in my 20 years, that's the decision and then we have to deal with the consequences. So people are going to start looking at how we conduct what they call, and you'll hear a lot of this term in the future, over the horizon operations into Afghanistan. Now, do you see kinetic activities being taken place inside Afghanistan when it comes to um, maybe U.S. national interests when it comes down to it? Yes. I mean, there's like I mentioned, there's still a substantial terrorism threat. Um, Al-Qaeda exists to attack the West. So, you know, they're going to plot external attacks. Uh, we have the capability. You know, we have the aircraft, whether it's manned aircraft or unmanned aircraft to um, do these over the horizon missions. The problem is you have to have information, intelligence to know what you're shooting at. So if there is a threat, if there's a cell, for example, that's plotting an attack on Times Square, 
Uh, you have to actually know that that is happening, and that that requires intelligence, whether it's human human intelligence or signal intelligence. But a lot of it requires you to be on the ground. So if you don't have a presence on the ground, you can have 50 drones in the air, but you don't know one there's a threat, and two who it is and where they're going to be, so you can eliminate the threat. So to your question, to uh, answer your question, we do have the capability of doing direct. Uh, action, direct attacks uh, against those that want to do harm against the United States, but it will be more difficult because we won't have the same level of information than we would if we were still uh, integrated throughout all the bases uh, that Sarah referenced earlier. So, so then I think what the concern is, I mean, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a smart move to pull everything after 20 years. The Taliban, which I, like you said, it's a main terrorist organization to have all the troops pulled out they're going to be all over the place it sets the entire country and all the efforts back 20 years because then it becomes such a rife country of terrorism and the attacks i mean taliban is going to take over the power again that not that they lost but that we tried to quell with all the efforts over the years and that's got to be a scary thought for not just the people who are there but for the military you know for you guys intelligence because where's that next step i feel like you're starting to fight in a war all over again to keep the people safe and that's life's loss that's tons of money that's sending troops back over because i feel like pulling them out you're giving the taliban the power to come back Terrorists is going to come back up have another way because they know they now not have a protected layer, but the intelligence is not going to be in that country anymore. And then I feel like we're just going to put troops back over there again to clean up the messes we spent 20 years cleaning up. And that's got to be a tough position to be in right now for everybody. Yes, absolutely. So General Scotty Miller, the, uh, the current commander and will be the final commander of all coalition efforts in Afghanistan, uh, said clearly tonight that he doesn't think the Taliban has changed at all. So it's the same organization, except for maybe more capable, as it was that we, uh, you know, pre 9 11. They took over Kabul in uh, 1996, but obviously after the attack in 2001, we went and um, basically uh, defeated them. Well, um, right now they've taken over 120 districts in Afghanistan. I think they're over one third of the country they now control, and there's a great concern that they could take back over the country. If they do, I don't even know if the U.S. could stay there. Uh, I don't know what the purpose would be to stay there if the Taliban took back over, but we might not actually be able to stay there. And then we're literally back 20 years ago. Um, the Taliban's a horrendous, horrendous organ, um, uh, organization. That girls who, who have now started going to school, you know, who never, you know, under them since 1996 went to school, they will not go to school after this. So all that, uh, advancement in, in civil rights for, for women in Afghanistan will be eliminated. Um, you're even seeing women take to the streets in many of these uh, cities armed. Um, I don't know how well they'll do against it, but maybe they're inspiring, they'll inspire the rest of the country to fight because this is a despotic, despotic organization that has no interest in, in individual uh, or human rights at all. And once they become in charge, if they do take over the government, and I'm not saying they will, we, we have, I fought alongside, personally fought alongside a lot of the Afghan soldiers and they, and let's not count them out already. I know it's, I know there's kind of a rush to that. Uh, I, 
Um, certainly, us withdrawing our support this may put them in a precarious position, but let's see how they do, and let's let's all root for them. Because if you're rooting for them, you're rooting for right. If you root, obviously nobody's rooting for the Taliban. But if the Taliban tax, takes back over, they will go into the dark ages of humanity with how they treat any dissent and, quite frankly, uh, anybody other than the male members of that organization. This is what I think is, I mean, not the most heartbreaking, but one of the most heartbreaking, because there are so many women I've seen on the TEDx circuses here as they've been speaking at the escape. I mean, women that have fought for years to have equal rights and walk around the streets, become doctors, to do everything, teachers, to go to school, to have a future, everything they're fighting for. And it's just so commendable, the bravery that they're on the streets with guns. And I saw you know, some of the images you sent me earlier and everything. They're such powerful images, but to fight for equal rights, being a female in that country, to have it all taken away from you, to be terrified to go out in public again, it, it, it wipes out the entire female race in that country again, which is, I think, so heartbreaking because to me, I think it's a matter of when we're going to end up putting troops, millions of troops back over there to re do all this again. And that's more life's loss that shouldn't have happened. And, you know, I know we don't want to make this political, but regardless of who anybody votes for, I happen publicly to disagree with Biden's decision here. But, you know, going into this, we've talked about this earlier. All the bases are free range now. The Taliban is probably going to, you know, move in stronger, may not take over. But we've talked about how does this affect the open bases? Because we've talked about the most likely country to move in is the Russians. And that's also a deadly mix, getting the Russians back in to that kind of scenario. I mean, do you believe that's where it's going to end up moving with the Russians going back in or taking over? So I don't think they'll take over. I think I think the Russians are very pragmatic, uh, and quite frankly, have have no problem going in and supporting one side one day and another side the other day as long as they feel like they have some kind of advantage. And for the Russians, it's usually some kind of military type advantage. They don't know if they're interested. I mean, they've had their own history there at the Soviet Union. They were they were run out of that place uh, as well. Um, so I do think they will use whatever they can to their advantage. I think there's media reports the National Security Advisor of Afghanistan has just returned from Moscow. Now that wasn't probably uh, a coincidence. So if the government of Afghanistan cannot now rely on the United States, will they turn to Russia? They'll certainly turn to them because they're one of the few capable of expeditionists, being expeditionary in their military, uh, like they do with Assad, quite frankly, uh, in Syria, and supporting them. Um, whether they'll do it here, I don't know. Uh, whether they'll do it to a level where they get some kind of basing or some kind of advantage. Uh, if they don't get that, they certainly won't do it. But they will look to they will look to um, take advantage of any situation in which they can counter us. I mean, they're, to me, their national security strategy is essentially do whatever hurts the U.S. You know, uh, be on whatever opposite side that we are. They, they have essentially decided to perpetually play the black hat role in the world. And they're fine with it. They're totally fine yeah. with that. It that seems, it, it so seems to be their MO. I, yeah, I totally do think it's their MO. Uh, they have an irregular warfare strategy uh, in which, you know, they will use any means necessary, for example, Crimea, not to get off the topic, 
uh, take over parts of Ukraine using people that don't aren't really Russian soldiers, but actually are. I think they'll look at this as an opportunity. And if it suits their um, purposes, they will take advantage. If it doesn't, then they'll stay out. So that, to, to answer your question, is to be determined. But I think they're having an active discussions right now. Hey, Mick, was there, uh, just real quick, Mick, was there a discussion at all when you were in the, in the uh, as a national security uh, person within the uh, Trump administration? What, I mean, I know that people are war weary regarding Afghanistan, but was there a talk at all about instead of just the United States there, that we be form a NATO coalition in there and use NATO forces to keep the Taliban out. So there is an international coalition. We are, I mean, we're a proposed, we're a big part of it, as you guess. But there's actually NATO and and a lot of our allies have been fighting alongside us for 20 years. So um, that already exists. I would say, you know, I was I I, I was a, a deputy for the Middle East at the, the Pentagon. Uh, and I am a nonpartisan, apolitical person. Uh, the Trump administration itself was moving toward essentially what this administration has decided. So, um, you know, when I was against that, that right, I, I thought it was I'm like I understand why we reduce our presence. Uh, I, it's a great expense in lives and in national treasure, but we had we had reduced it down by thirty five hundred. Uh, people. So, uh, and I and I'm pretty sure that the last administration had they, uh, you know, got reelected, probably would be going in the same direction that the current one. So, I don't know that it's a necessarily, you know, a political issue. I think it's just a matter of whether you think that 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 a con- contribution of forces there was worth the overall um, uh, defense of our effort, if you will. And that's and that's to be the, the unusual part is. President Biden, when he was vice president, actually was a proponent of a small force. Uh, you know, I don't want to speak for him, but um, a smaller force that could do CT and enabling and not the large 130,000 uh, force that we got to. I would have agreed with him then. So if he would just go back to that position now, I think we would be better off. Um, but again, you know, he's not listening to me. And, uh, you know, once the president decides, then it's up for the well, those that are in the roles that I were in to, to make the best of it. And uh, let's, let's hope he's right. Let's, by the way, before we move, let's hope he's right. Let's not hope that the Taliban can actually defeat the Afghan forces and take over the country. If he's right, awesome. Is there is a concern of, I mean, given the bases are now emptied out, is it another form of paramilitary forces within Afghanistan or another Middle East country? Or is it really the imminent threat, so to speak, or concern the Russians? Or is there somebody else on the kind of on the outskirts that may be on the radar to do more damage than what it's worth? So when the U.S. pulls out of anywhere in large uh, numbers, um, all of our adversaries try to take advantage of it. So you already mentioned Russia. China will, to more on the economic side, they'll look at you know resources and what they can what they can do there. And they already have been, but this will just allow more of an opportunity. The Russians we already talked about. Iran, you know, Iran will. They have a. I mean, they're a border uh, with Afghanistan, and they certainly have all sorts of militia they support there, and they'll try to use them to their national security objectives, meet the national security objectives. And then we already talked about um, some of the terrorist organizations. They existed there pre-9-11, obviously, and they're going to be even more robust there after our departure, whatever that is, which is expected by August. 
Um, and we'll have we'll have a very limited ability uh, to determine what they're trying to do. And then, of course, if we think they're trying to uh, do something like attack the United States, to be able to stop that. Let me ask you a question, kind of prolonging to one of our previous um, podcasts with you. The last one, and I know Global Institute that you and your business partner Eric are very heavily involved with. Given the Taliban, given where we are at the situation. I'm assuming there's going to be a bigger increase of not just mass destruction, but child soldiering in those parts of the world, given they're going to need more forces. And I know that's a very big issue we talked about um, on our last podcast with you. And I know child soldiering is a big issue. I think that's the biggest area of the world is over in the Middle East. Is this a part of a bigger concern that anybody's going to be looking at and trying to um, step in? Because there's a lot of innocent children over there that you know they're going to put guns into their hands if they just need to increase their forces over there. Yeah, Sarah, that's a good point. So Eric Ulrich, my business partner, uh, retired Navy SEAL, and somebody who's um, worked uh, extensively in all these areas we've been talking about, he and I um, we're part of some NGOs uh, that deal with uh, the aftermath of children being forced to be soldiers, but we started one called In Child Soldiering. Um, specifically to this, um, what you see in the world is as conflicts drag on, the soldiers get younger, right? Because the older guys essentially die. Um, so Afghanistan is on the list of the UN as the 14 worst places in the world for ch- soldiers being uh, being, excuse me, children being forced to be soldiers. And I think it's only going to drag on and on now because of the circumstances that we just discussed. Uh, in the last, in 2019, the UN uh, report that uh, we use often when we're talking about this, uh, said the Middle East, uh, it doubled. So it, it doubled in size for children being forced to be soldiers. And I mean, conflict's bad enough. But quite frankly, I wish we had much less conflict. But if adults are going to start conflicts, they ought to fight them and not, um, and not force children uh, to do so. And these children are, are the, on the fringes of society, right? They're not, they're not wealthy people's children that are fighting. These are, these are kids that either have no choice whatsoever because they were abducted and forced to it, or for whatever reason felt like they had to do it because they had to provide food for their uh, family. And they are, they are used because they're cheap. Uh, they listen to adults, as most children do, and quite frankly, um, with the advent and the advancement of weapons, um, they're lighter, and these kids can shoot them, and they're smaller, and it's just, it's like a, a terrible recipe for why they use kids as soldiers. So we focus a lot on, obviously, ending the use of children as soldiers, but then those that have been forced, rehabilitating so they can get back in society and have a life. And I think it's going to be tough to get back to any decent society and have a life given what's going on over there. And as we kind of touch base on this before you wrap on our last podcast with you, we talked about AI and drones. Is this just like another addition to the concerns of terrorism around the world on the U.S. if we are completely pulled out and the Taliban takes over more and more over there? Yeah, I've I've heard uh, estimates today that if the Taliban pushes toward Kabul, uh, they will see a, we will see a massive uh, ex, exodus on a refugee problem out of Afghanistan, potentially into Europe. Uh, there's so many people who will not live, quite frankly, under Taliban rule again. Now remember, they, it's such a young population there, a lot of them don't even remember it. So um, if, you, if you go to Kabul now, it's, it's actually a pretty modern uh, society. 
these people would rather just take their chances on the, quite frankly, by walking to Europe than, than dealing with the Taliban. And of course, a lot of them actually work with the U.S., which is a huge issue right now, because the Taliban is going to kill them immediately. So if you work with the U.S., I mean, you want to wait for the Taliban to get there, or would you take your chances uh, fleeing? And of course, a vast majority of the people who flee are good people, um, but terrorist groups can infiltrate this, this flow of people, and they can use it to their advantage to get to um, areas of Europe and even in the United States. So, uh, and this will cause an international um, crisis to see this many people trying to flee Afghanistan. Um, are you seeing them? Are they starting to flee now, given what's going on, or have you not seen any movement on that quite yet? Yeah, so they're already starting to flee, small, flee, small numbers to go into Tajikistan, uh, for example. But if, as the Taliban advances into more populated areas, cities, et cetera, and certainly into the capital, you'll see potentially hundreds of thousands. Uh, okay, I've got a loaded question here real quick. Can the Taliban be defeated overall? Not just we're just not talking Afghanistan, but the whole actual group. I know it's an ideology, but is it is it something that, you know, good people can defeat? So if we're looking at it as um, jihadist terrorism. So it's the Taliban, it's Afghanistan, I mean, it's Al-Qaeda, it's ISIS, it's Al-Shabaab. It's really difficult to defeat it since it's essentially a philosophy, right? It's a demented philosophy, but it is an idea. So to defeat that is very difficult. It's not like in World War II. I mean, I'm sure Nazism would be considered a philosophy, but they had they owned a country. We defeated the country, we defeated the army. Um, well, whether we'll ever defeat... Um, Jihadism, I don't, I don't know, but I would say this, uh, not that it is the equivalent of crime, but you don't see a lot of police officers sitting around saying, if only we defeat crime, they accept the fact that we have to keep fighting, right? Crime's going to happen. We need law enforcement people to try to prevent it from happening. So if our, if, if we go, okay, well, it doesn't look like we're going to be defeat terrorism, so therefore we quit, then we'll just have more terrorism. It's not like we have an option. So I would say, instead of looking for the off-ramp continuously, we need to do two things. We need to defeat the threat that they pose, and then we need to try to get to the underlying problem. Because the underlying problem is essentially economic. If you look at where these people are getting recruited from, mostly they have no options. So it's in yet. You can either join some kind of extremist group, or you can be killed by some kind of extremist group. So it is not an excuse, it's not an excuse to join a terrorist organization, but we have extraordinarily poor, underdeveloped countries who are in a constant state of conflict, and that's generally who joins um, terrorist organizations. Now you have rich uh, people that do go in there for their own reasons, but most of, the, most of the soldiers, most of the guys that blow themselves up or you know run into the fray in a mall in Kenya, are foot soldiers who obviously have a demented philosophy, but they probably, if you looked at it, had zero opportunity. So um, we have to look at both. We have to defeat the media threat to them, and we have to address as an international um, effort to try to end these circumstances of which people feel, generally men, young men, feel that the only option they have is to join a terrorist organization. 
Let me ask you a question before you wrap here. I want to kind of get your parting thoughts on this. And I totally understand if you can't answer this. You know, given your background in military operations, intelligence, given you know your whole career in this area, do you feel that with the president of the United States, you know, with the new administration, we are headed in the right direction from a security defense standpoint with all of this? Or do you feel this is not the right direction to go and it's more of a concern down the road, given who's in the administration right now? So I think there, I mean, it's to be determined. Um, there's a lot of great people, a lot of friends of mine that are in the current administration that have, uh, I think, absolutely the right point of view on how to deal with uh, terrorism. And, you know, one of the things, in, just to go back to the question Joe asked, so it isn't just, it isn't just uh, jihadist terrorism, right? Islamic terrorism. Uh, we have terrorism of all sorts, including domestic terrorism. So, uh, and that's, that's you know, to, to the domestic audience, that's actually in many people's minds, a bigger threat to Americans right now. So I think that they will be, uh, um, take a holistic view on the defense of the nation, whether it be, um, you know, the, the Al-Qaeda or their affiliates, or whether it will be some of these groups that we're seeing in the United States. But in both cases, we need to address it with a measured approach because we don't want to create more of the issue that we're trying to address. So to your question, I think they're doing a lot of good stuff um, in this current administration. And, you know, some things I'm going to, you know, and, and several other people are going to disagree with. This is one of them. Hopefully, hopefully at the end of the day, that the decision was right, that the Afghan security forces can hold themselves up and, and defend and maybe even, you know, at least partially defeat the Taliban and maintain what we develop. If that's the case, great. If it's not, I hope we have the ability to rethink our decisions and potentially go in there while we still have an opportunity. Because if we're all out, the opportunity is going to dwindle down to almost nothing because it's going to cost so much life uh, uh, to get so much of our own lives uh, with our soldiers to get back in there and actually get to the point where we are now. We're going to have to fight to get back to where we are now. And so once we're all out, I think that decision becomes uh, unlikely. I know it's a controversial topic, but, you know, right, wrong or different. I'm not so sure people feel Biden has a, is the right person for military support, given, you know, moving forward, or if he has the expertise or the knowledge. I mean, you know, he has administration and amazing staff. They all have to be heads of state. But do you think he is the right person support military efforts and what's the best interest of our lives, the lives of others over in these types of countries. So as you and I stay away from the political side of this, I can say that empirically, he has extraordinary experience, right? He was the vice president for eight years. Uh, and uh, I, I, I certainly would say this, I think he makes his decisions based on what he thinks is right. Um, and in, you know, sometimes, you know, me and others are going to disagree with him. Uh, I think his original plan, at least the way I understood it, to keep a force there that was substantial enough to defend the government, our partners in the government of Afghanistan and our counterterrorism interests was the way to go. I just, I, I think, you know, that was not too much of an expense or a risk to our forces to do. And that's, and that's, and we'll see. We'll see if that's uh, how it plays out. Um, but let's just hope that, uh, that that our Afghan partners can defend themselves against the Taliban. And if they can't, the other aspect that you're going to hear more and more of is getting the people who worked alongside the U.S. for the last 20 years out uh, before they get uh, basically slaughtered by the Taliban. And that's, that's something that 
is just the right thing to do. And I think everybody on both sides of the aisle, including those that aren't on either, like myself, are um, are, are pushing to have happen. And hopefully we can do that. Yeah, time will tell. Mick, thank you so much for coming back on the show. I mean, it was good to get an update of what's going on over there with you. And I appreciate the time you took to talk to us today. Absolutely. Serious topic that we'll probably could be talking many more times about many podcasts. I, we and will probably have you back on more updates on next month's podcast and Global Crisis Watch. But until then, thank you so much for joining us today. And we look forward to talking to you again on the next one. Thank you for joining us for Global Crisis Watch. This Media Mavens podcast special presentation is brought to you by the Evergreen Podcast Network. To find more podcasts and to learn more about our hosts and guests, please go to MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.